This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. If you're a guest or maybe first time in a long time, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here. And you're joining us on a kind of at the, the back end of a series of messages that we've been walking through this fall called Not Impressed. We're talking about how Jesus, he's not impressed by our, our awesomeness. He's not impressed by our awfulness. He just always moves towards us. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus is not impressed by my power. Now you might look at your life and think, okay, this one is not for me. I'm not a powerful person. I'm not an influential person. Nobody really looks to me. I, um, you know, I've never been accused of being a dictator or any of these types of things, so I'm exempt. Uh, but what I want us to think about this morning is when we talk about power, we're not just talking about the person at the top of the organizational chart. We're not talking about the person that has the titles of boss or manager or supervisor or coach or captain or leader or any of these other things, but we're talking about any form of influence, any form of authority, any space where other people look to you in any way at all. And, and even still with that, we get uncomfortable because, uh, you know, if, if you have a conversation with someone, they said, hey, just so you know, I'm a powerful person. It's fairly off-putting, right? Like that is typically that to me, if somebody comes to me and, and, and in the opening conversation, like, hey, I just want you to know I'm a powerful person. My typical response is like, I just want you to know we're not going to be friends. Um, you know, because if, if that's what you're leading with, I know what's to come and I, I just don't need that in my life. But our discomfort with power cannot keep us from really evaluating how we're using our power, our influence and all those sorts of things. There's a, an author named Andy Crouch. He's one of the editors of Christianity Today, and he wrote a, a, a great book on this topic of reclaiming power as a gift from God called Playing God. And in the, the opening pages of it, Crouch says, because of our discomfort with power, we employ a wide range of near synonyms that seem more comfortable. We speak of leadership, influence, or authority, All these are important and beneficial forms of power, but these words can camouflage what is really at stake. The best word for it, with all its discomfort, is power. And so kind of to to make sure that we're not exempting us, we're all going to, uh, just like we're in elementary school or junior high on the count of three, we're all going to say, I am powerful, all right? But you got to say it like you mean it. Right? You can't whisper, I am powerful, because it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you mean. I mean, you got to pretend you are Captain America when you are picking up Thor's hammer right at the very end of that, right? If you don't know what that means, you got to watch the movies. There's about 20 of them, and it'll get you all caught up, right? But okay, so here we go. On the count of three, I am powerful. Ready? One, two, three. I am powerful. There you go. Now that you've admitted it, Jesus is not impressed. Not one single bit. And so what we're going to look at at this morning is a story from John chapter 18 and 19. It actually takes place on the night Jesus is arrested, leading up to his crucifixion. So Jesus has been arrested by the Jewish leaders. They have taken him before their own uh, religious leadership. They've had kind of a trial there before the high priest, but they, they don't have the power to carry out capital punishment. And so they now haul Jesus over to Pilate's palace. Pilate is the governor of Rome, and they come basically to say, hey, Pilate, kill this guy for us. And so what we're going to look at this morning is how Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate is an incredibly powerful man. 
the most powerful man in that part of the world, representing the most powerful empire in that period of history that, that really is, is close to the, the, the zenith of power as any empire at any point of history. And Pilate stands there before Jesus, holding the power of life and death in his hands. And Jesus' response is kind of like, eh, yeah, like, yeah, okay, whatever. You don't have that much power. So we're going to read a couple of portions of it. I'd encourage you to read all of John 18 and 19 later, and you'll get the full story. But we're going to start in chapter 18, verse 28. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremony on uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And then there's a back and forth that occurs between Jesus and Pilate. There's a back and forth that occurs between Pilate and the crowd. And we'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And skipping down to verse 9, it says, And he, being Pilate, went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, here's the the thing you got to understand about Pilate and that we've got to understand about ourselves. Pilate had real power and his power had real consequences. And he stands before Jesus with the power of life and death in his hands. He stands as the, the duly appointed governor of that section of the Roman Empire. So all the power has been invested in him. All the power has been given to him. Nobody questions that Pilate is in charge. You can read through some of the Jewish histories of the first century, and they will tell you how brutally Pilate oppressed the Jewish people at times and how harshly he treated anyone who who was suspected of any form of rebellion against the empire. And so Pilate has real power. Now, now for us, it's hard to uh, uh, kind of, line our lives up with Pilate because we think, I just don't, like none of us here this morning have the ability through our words for life or death, right? Over just random people without any repercussions. I guess we all do to an extent, but you will get arrested, okay? So, uh, but not like Pilate had. There's no one in the room who has the, the authority Pilate had of his words could become law and could affect the lives of, of just all t- kinds of people from all kinds of places. And yet still some of us this morning, we know we are people of power. Like for, for some of you, you're comfortable making that acknowledgement because you know the influence you've been given. You know the authority you've been given in certain spaces. You know the titles that you carry. right? You know that, that when you, some of our students, when you go back to school tomorrow, you know it, it might be small authority, but it's authority. You walk in as a leader in the class. You walk in as the captain of the team. You're the first chair in the band. You're the secretary on the student council. Whatever it is, you have some titles. You have some influence. When you speak, people respond. 
Right? Some of you, it's, it's an official title. It's like, you know, if you say one thing to that girl about the way that she's dressed, she'll never wear that again. Right? That's some power that you have there. For others of us, we know, well, well I'm, a, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, so there's some power there. You know at work, I'm the boss, I'm the manager, I'm the supervisor, I set the budget, or I started the company, or I, in all of these spaces, we can kind of recognize I have some power. Now, what we have to also recognize is our power has real consequences. And all of us have some form of power. In, in our society, it is very rare for a person to be in a relationship where they are absolutely powerless. Now, it does occur, right? There are, there are abusive, there are all kinds of horrible things that happen in our society. But by and large, for the most part, even in situations where the relationship disparity is vast, right? Where the, the person at the top is so far away from the person at the bottom. In our society, in our culture, the person at the bottom still carries some form of power. I mean, if you look around the room today, we see this played out really well. The most powerful person in the room is probably the smallest infant in here, right? Like, that baby is the only one that someone jumps at every cry, that someone attends to their every need. And you see this in other places, like in your place of employment, you might not be anywhere near the CEO, and yet your actions can reflect back on them. Right? In, in the home, we see it. Of The child might feel like, no, all the power rests with my parents. And sometimes parents, we're tempted to believe that. And then we have teenagers, right? And then we start to understand, like, oh, no, they have immense power. Like, they have power to either help me lay down at night and sleep quickly and soundly or to keep me up all night long wondering if they're going to do some kind of dateline special on me in the future of, like, what did you do wrong as a parent that your kid turned out this way? Right? There, there's just always, there's a power dynamic. We have our politicians, but we always have the option of we can vote them out, we can send someone else in, we can protest, we can do all of these kinds of things. And so for all of us, no matter if our power is big or our power is small, what we have to understand is we have power and it has consequences. In any space where God has given me authority, where he's given me influence, in any space where he's trusted you with responsibility, there are always going to be ripple effects from your decisions on other people. Now, this is incredibly obvious with Pilate. And for Jesus especially, Jesus has been subjected to Pilate's power. He's been beaten. He's been abused. You would expect Jesus to, to just kind of come in with this understanding of, oh, my goodness, this is a powerful man, and yet Jesus is just not terribly impressed. Pilate says, hey, don't you know I have the power to set you free or crucify you? And Jesus says, you don't really have any power over me at all, except what's been given to you from above. And he's trying to point Pilate towards this idea that his power doesn't actually just reside in Caesar, but it actually comes from God above. He's reminding us of the same thing. You see, when, when you have a when you have an experience of power or you have an experience of beauty or you have an experience of creativity, the higher that experience is, the more it colors your perspective when you experience those things in new circumstances, right? So, so, so think of it this way. Maybe you and I have, have had this experience. Like if we, after church, we, we load up and we're like, all right, a church field trip, we're going to go to Turkey Mountain, right? Because it's our mountain in Tulsa. This is, this is it. Right, and if you've never been there, I'm sorry. It is 
okay, right? And so we, we load up, and we drive down 71st, and we cross the river, and we, go, we turn, we park in the parking lot, we get out, and, uh, and we get our backpacks, and we get our water, and we decide we're going to hike to the top of Turkey Mountain, and five minutes later, we're standing on the top of it. And we're not sweating, and we're not out of breath, and, and you kind of get to the point, and the, the leaves are starting to fall, so we're getting a better view on Turkey Mountain this time of year. And you look across, and you can see South Tulsa, and you can see the ORU campus, and you can maybe look to the left, and you see downtown, and you look at the river below, and depending on how much water they're letting out, it looks like a river or it looks like a sand trap, right? And you, but you just, and, and honestly, for us in Tulsa, it's a pretty good view. You know, Angie and I grew up in Kansas. We got nothing to say about flat places, and, you know, like, Great place to visit. Now, some if, if that was my whole experience of life, I would think, let's go to the mountains, Turkey Mountain, right? And, and I would take all my friends and family there. And, and if that was all they'd ever seen, they would be very impressed by it. But I, I, I've, I've been in the Rocky Mountains, right? I, I've stood in the Himalayas. Like, I've stood and see the five 20,000-foot peaks right next to each other, one right after another after another. And when you've seen that, and then you go to Turkey Mountain, it's just kind of like, meh. It's a pretty nice hill. It's got some trails. It's got, you know, same thing. Like, some of you, you, you love the lakes around Oklahoma, and I do too. They're great. I mean, we, like, Grand Lake, we even put it in the name. This is a grand lake. It's impressive. It's beautiful. There's some trees, and there's some hills. And it is, and unless you've stood on the, the shores of Lake Tahoe, and you've seen the mountains, or you've stood on the, the coast and seen the vastness of the Atlantic or the Pacific, and then that moment's kind of like, yeah. Now, if, if we can put our, ourselves in that mindset, it's really going to help us understand how Jesus responds so indifferently to Pilate's power. Because you and I should think, and you and I, if we were in Jesus' position, we would be very impressed by Pilate's power. So he, Pilate has shown Jesus, hey, you're in my palace. You live under my dominion. You have experienced my authority. And just in case you don't get how strong and powerful I am, I'm going to order my guards to take you out. And they're going to whip you. And they're going to jam this crown of thorns on you. And they're going to strike you again and again and again. And they're going to mock you. And they're going to make fun of you. And there is not a single thing you or anyone you care about can do. Because this is the kind of power that I have. And then Jesus is drugged back into the palace. And in the palace, he sees Pilate's soldiers. Right? He sees Pilate's attendants. And those soldiers, they, they say there were probably 6,000 soldiers that Pilate oversaw in that part of the Roman Empire. So he is a man of immense power in that region. And Jesus, as far as Pilate and everyone else there is concerned, is a poor nobody. So he says, look, you, buddy, you better answer me. I have the power of life and death. And Jesus' response is you have no power over me except what's been given to you from above. Now, we have two choices here. Either Jesus is out of touch with reality, or he's in touch with a greater reality. And you have to pick which one. Now, now for me, as a follower of Jesus, I choose to believe that in that moment, Jesus is in touch with a greater reality. And his response is the same thing somebody from the Himalayas would have standing on top of Turkey Mountain of like, eh, it's okay, I've seen better. And so when Pilate is kind of, you know, they're all puffed up and, and hey, look at my power, respect my authority, Jesus kind of thinks, eh, you know, I've, I've seen different. I've seen better, I've seen bigger. Jesus knows where he's come from. 
He knows who he is, and he knows where he's going back to, and he knows everything he sees in front of him pales in comparison to that. Now, there there are so many scriptures we could turn to that would give us a description of what Jesus might have had in mind as he stood before Pilate. But perhaps none is better than a vision Daniel has in Daniel chapter 7. So if you, if you look with me, if you have a Bible, you can look over at Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read verse 9 and 10. So Daniel is, is one of the Old Testament prophets, and he has this vision of heaven and this vision of God. And he says in verse 9, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So Jesus stands before Pilate in a palace before a king, but, but he's seen so much better. The Ancient of Days comes and he is glowing in white. His throne is on fire. The wheels of his throne are on fire. There is a river of fire that comes out before him. And so now we can start to understand why Jesus is not terribly impressed by Pilate's power. And then it it goes on in verse 11. Daniel starts to talk about another one who shows up. Now before we read that, you, you need to remember something Jesus says about himself. When people ask him who he is or what he's come to do, one of the terms he will most often use is son of man. And when he talks about how I'm the son of man, he's pointing us to a couple ideas. The the son, he's pointing us to this idea of I'm the, the son of God, the divinity of Jesus, man, the humanity of Jesus. So it's the divinity and the humanity mixed together. Other times when he talks about the son of man, it's, it kind of has some of these elements of like from the first man, Adam, we all came. And from the second man, the son of man, we will all be restored and renewed. So son of man is a common term Jesus has used. So listen to what Daniel describes in verse 13. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And here Jesus stands before the regional governor of the Roman Empire in one of the little offshoot sections I mean, honestly, kind of the backwoods. And Pilate is so full of his power and his might and and tries to threaten Jesus with the, don't you know I have the power of life and death in my hand? But Jesus knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He knows that all authority, all dominion has been entrusted to him. And so he says to Pilate, not because he's out of touch with reality, but because he's in touch with the greatest reality, you have no power over me except what's been given to you by above. Not simply meaning you have no power over me except what's been given to you by God, but more, I mean, listen to what Daniel says. The son of man will come. And he will have sovereign power over all nations and peoples of every language. Jesus stands as the king of kings before Pilate and tells him, you don't have any authority except what I've given you over me. 
He's creating an authority loop that, that is, I mean, honestly, we can't blame Pilate. He has no frame of reference for this. You and I, reading it 2,000 years later, with all of the benefit of seeing how the whole picture works together, still can barely understand how God becomes man, subjects himself to authority, and yet at the same time retains all authority. But that's where he is. And so now Pilate's palace, Pilate's throne, these look like children's toys. Right? Pilate's soldiers, he might have hundreds who are there that night, and Jesus is thinking thousands upon thousands attend the Ancient of Days. I have all dominion. I have all power. I have all authority. There's nothing Pilate can say or do that's going to impress Jesus. His power is minuscule compared to the power of Jesus. And so if that is his response to a governor of Rome in a time when Rome was the final authority, then who are you and I to think that Jesus is in any way, shape, or form impressed by our power? His response to Pilate is, yeah, not impressed. And yet for us at times, we we have some real power. We start to see some real consequences of it. And we can start to get pretty full of ourselves. Like, man, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. When I say stuff, things happen. Right? And, and, and you, you've, seen, you've seen someone, maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, where they received the smallest amount of authority possible. And they started strutting around like they were the emperor of Rome. And I mean, just think of that kid. They, they were the, the hall monitor in elementary school. And with a safety vest and a clipboard, they were like a third world dictator in training. Just, I mean, hey, stop, hey, stop. And you're like, what are you talking about? You've seen it at work. Somebody gets just the smallest little bit of authority over you. And suddenly it's, hey, don't call me by my first name. I'm Mr. Dow now. Okay, can we, let's just have some respect. If you don't respect the person, respect the position, right? And, and we've got these kind of statements, and you've had them, like, right? I mean, some of you literally, you work in places where, where people can actually pull rank on you. I'm like, hey, well, you're down here and I'm here, so shut up and do it. And we all have that experience of just kind of, oh, it's just such an eye roll. And, and yet at the same time, you know you have to. And yet how often do we kind of turn back to Jesus and he's saying, hey, I, I want you to serve. Hey, I want you to give. Hey, I want you to humble yourself. Hey, I want you to extend an invitation. I want you to open your home. We're like, do you know who I am? Jesus, I oversee a million-dollar budget. Jesus, I, I can't, can't vacuum at church. If I vacuum at church, do you know, then my kids are going to expect me to vacuum at home. And I'm not doing that because I'm the king of my castle, right? And kings don't vacuum. The peasants do. So get to work, kids, right? And like, we just, we kind of have these. And, and sometimes, I mean, those are ridiculous examples, but, but we all have it. Just like, man, Jesus, he is, he's got to be impressed that I'm on his team. Has he seen my portfolio? Has he seen my return on investment? Has he seen how much new business I've created? Does he know how many followers I have? Does he know I'm the most LinkedIn on LinkedIn, right? Does he, like, does he understand all of these things about me? Because if he did, he would know. Like, Peter was awesome, but here comes Chris Dow. And I, I think now we can finally build the kingdom, and, and we will never say it out loud. And yet we live like it on the inside. 
of, hey, I deserve a little more than you. I deserve a little more than you. I don't have to do what you do because I'm, I'm a little more important. A few more people know me. My bank account, my house, my whatever is a, a little more substantial. And, and yet Jesus has this tremendously different perspective of power. And he's just telling us, I'm, I'm just not that impressed. But the fact that he's not impressed doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of our power. It's not that we then get to say, okay, well, he's not impressed, so I can just kind of do whatever I want. But he reminds Pilate in that moment that his power is a gift. And he reminds us of the same thing this morning. Now, Pilate's story is, is really, really interesting. And it's one of those things, like, there's, there's these ideas called uh, counterfactual theories where you kind of think, well, if that hadn't happened this way, what would my life have looked like? What would history have looked like? And so we can kind of ask that question here of if Pilate had set Jesus free, what would have happened? Now, we, we don't know. Most likely, the sovereign plan of God for Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice for us would have still continued. And yet, the fact that Pilate is part of this sovereign plan, he has no idea that, that is going on, it doesn't excuse him from the misuse of his power in that moment. Right? For all we know, Pilate just chooses what is most convenient, for what is most comfortable, for just kind of the easy way out. And men and women in positions of power, teenagers in positions of power, continue to face that same choice. Will I take this gift God has given to me and use it for his glory and for his honor? Or will I take it and warp it and use it for my glory, my honor, my convenience, my comfort, everything that's good for me? That's why the, the story of Pilate resonates with us across the centuries. We just always come back to that idea of what does it mean to be a person of power? Like Pilate thinks he kind of has found the third way out of there's a righteous way. And there's a sinful way, and he looks for this middle ground of, I'm just going to wash my hands of it. I'm just going to wash my hands and be done. And, and sometimes that's our approach to power. Of, well, I think God wants me to do this, but I or culture are telling me to do this, so I'm going to pick the third way where I kind of don't do anything. But what Pilate reminds us, what we all know, is that any form of disobedience is disobedience. It doesn't matter how we moderate or camouflage or dress up our disobedience. If we're not doing the things God has called us to do, if we're not acting in righteous, righteousness and justice, if we're not executing our power through his spirit working in us, then we're not following him. Tony Blair was the, the former prime minister of England. And one year around Easter, uh, he was inter interviewed by the Sunday Telegraph. And they were talking to him about the elements of the crucifixion story that resonated with him. Now, if, if you um, have been around for a while, you remember when Tony Blair was the prime minister. Um, if you're 13 or under, then you probably think he was after Winston Churchill or before. But it's fine. Like, it's totally fine. Uh, but he, he was in a position of power and at a, a really influential time in Great Britain's history. Blair said this about Pilate. He said, Pilate commands our moral attention not because he is a bad man, but because he was so nearly a good man. One can imagine him agonizing, seeing that Jesus had done nothing wrong and wishing to release him. Just as easily, however, one can envision his advisors telling him of the risks, warning him not to inflame public opinion. It is a timeless parable of political life. Now, I love Blair's application. The only thing I would disagree with is the word political. Because I think it's a timeless parable of life. 
Because if you and I sit here today and we only read Pilate as a politician, then almost all of us get to exempt ourselves from that. But if we read Pilate as a, a person of power, then we're all subjected to it. And Jesus' response to you and I today, no matter what our power influence, no matter how big or how small it is, is the same that it was to Pilate. You have no power except what has been given to you by, from above. That power is a gift. And as Christians, we understand this idea of stewardship. Stewardship means that everything I have in life is a gift from God to me. I am just a temporary manager of it. And so God never gives a gift without having an expectation for how it will be used or without having a plan for how that gift can be used for his good and for his glory, for the building of his kingdom. And power is no different. When God allows you any form of power, your job is to steward it in ways that honor and glorify him. So all of power, every experience you have, there is a space there for God to work. There is a plan that he wants to lay out and for you to follow. Your job and my job is to seek him out in that. Now, the really good news is power is a gift, but it's not just Jesus coming to us and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this gift. Now, don't screw it up because you and I will screw it up. Right? Power, I mean, you, you've heard that. I think it's Lord Acton who says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've all had that experience. You, you got the promotion. You got the raise. You got this new level of influence. And whether you knew it or not, you started battling the temptation every day to use those new abilities, those new responsibilities for your good before you use them for anyone else's. Right? It's, it's, it's why every time, let's just talk financially. It's why every time we get a raise, often the first temptation is now I can raise my standard of living, not now I can raise my standard of giving. Right? When you get that new authority at work, it's, hey, now I got to redo this office. I got to make this look like myself, not and now I can elevate others alongside of me. Now I can elevate others who are coming after me. We always have that first inward look. And so Jesus, when he tells us power is a gift, he doesn't leave us alone. So this, this interaction with Pilate, it takes place on the night of his arrest leading up to his crucifixion. So we know, we know how the story ends. Pilate turns him over to the crowd. They haul him away and they crucify him. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He's in the grave for three days. Then resurrection occurs. New life comes to Jesus. He walks out of the grave. For 40 days, he interacts with his disciples. He's teaching them. He's leading them. He's guiding them. And then on the day of the ascension, his last physical interaction with them, his last day on earth as fully God, fully man, Jesus tells them, listen, guys, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. And what are they to wait for? Power. It says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and he will give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he tells Pilate, you don't have any power except what comes from above. And you and I now hear that same message. You don't have any power except that that comes from above. All power that comes to us is a gift from God entrusted to us. But then Jesus says... It's not just that initial gift of power you've received, but as my followers, you're going to receive a second gift of power that is the presence of my Holy Spirit living in you. 
And so he gives us the power in our relationships, in our jobs, in all of these other spaces. But then he says the only way you can use this appropriately is if you also have the gift of my Holy Spirit bringing power to your power in every moment. Why? Not so that you can climb higher and higher. Not so that you can have more and more influence, but so that you can be his witness in your Jerusalem, your Judea, and to the ends of the earth. God gives power for the sake of his kingdom. He gives power so that people who are far from him can be brought close to him. He has elevated you in the positions you are in right now so you can be a man or woman of influence for him in those spaces. Spirit-filled men and women and teenagers in positions of power will use all of their privileges, will use all of the platforms, will use all of the opportunities they have, not to say, look at me and what I've achieved, but to say, look at Jesus and what he's doing in my life. And to try to bring others along with him. And, And here's what we really have to understand. The more power I have, the more I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we agree with that, but so often we operate the, the inverse way of that. We think when I am low and when I am weak and when I am powerless, then, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. But then the higher we climb and the more we achieve and the more success we have, the less likely we are to increase our daily dependence on the Holy Spirit. But the more power you have and the less power of the Holy Spirit you have, the closer you become to Pilate. Hey, I'm just, just going to do my thing. I'm just going to choose what's most convenient, and, and I'll try to do it in an honorable way. But your power will warp you. Your power will corrupt you. And, and so for many of us today, we sit in positions of power. We sit in positions of influence, of leadership, of authority. And God has placed you there for a reason. He's put you there in this season. And he expects you to surrender to the power of his Holy Spirit and follow the path that he's going to lay out for you. So so this week, some of you, you're going back to work tomorrow and you've got some hiring or some firing decisions to make. And God's given you all kinds of natural tools and abilities that you can lean on for those. My encouragement to you today is don't do anything until you have asked for the power of the Holy Spirit in that space. Some of us as as moms and as dads, we're we're going home to some kids and there's some difficult situations we're dealing with. Maybe you're entering the toddler toddler years for the first time and you're just discovering they actually have their own personality. And, and, And you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to direct it. You don't know how to parent it. Maybe you're in those, those older elementary years and you see the transitions coming of the years ahead and, and you're nervous because that's kind of where your life went off the rails. Maybe you've got some teenagers and there's, there's just the clash of titans in your house right now. Or just this battle of wills and you're thinking, Lord, this is not, where did my sweet six-year-old go? Right? Like, I, I just don't know what to do. And, and so before you read the parenting books, before you da- dive down the blogs, before you start getting on, getting on social media and asking other people for help, before any of that, in that space of power and influence, we just say, Holy Spirit, will you fill me with your power, with your presence? Will you give me wisdom? Will you give me knowledge? Will you give me discernment? Will you give me peace? Will you give me the ability to see the path you're laying out and just take the next step? And in any position where you have power this week, God has an expectation for that power to be used for his kingdom. 
And you might have all kinds of restrictions at work, right? Like, no, I'm in a public school and I, I have power, I have authority, but I do not have the privilege of talking about Jesus. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit's power. He doesn't care about the rules your employer has put on you. Right? He, this Holy Spirit comes in a land where they're told Caesar is God. All allegiance is due to him. And as the Holy Spirit fills men and women with his power, within 300 years, Caesar says, Jesus is God. I mean, this is how the power of the Spirit works. Not only is Jesus not impressed by your power, but he has a far more impressive power to fill you with so your life can matter more than the inheritance or the homes you leave behind but he's not gonna force it on you. He's gonna say, here it is. Do you want it? He told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And in that waiting, there was a humbling. In that waiting, there was a recognition of they didn't have control over it. In that waiting, there was an obedience. There was a recognition of, okay, we're, we're leading the church now, but man, we can't do it without him. And as they waited, their hearts were made ready to receive all of the power that was gonna be entrusted to them. As they were filled with the Holy Spirit, he transformed every form of influence they had. And so that's, that's our prayer today. That's what we're gonna pray for all of us. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna ask our, our prayer team, if you guys will come across the front, uh, staff, if you'll join them. Deacons, if you guys will just be aware, if, if, if it looks like we need your help, just make your way to the front here in a moment. But um, I wanna pray a, a broad prayer over us, but then I wanna give you a specific chance. So for the disciples, they have a humbling walk back to Jerusalem. For some of us, it's a humbling walk to the front of a church. Of just saying, hey, I, I might be a person of influence, I might be a person of importance, but I'm facing things this week that I can't handle on my own. And so Holy Spirit, will you come in your power? Will you come in your strength? So I'm gonna pray for us, and then after I do, I'm gonna, gonna give you a chance to come and respond, come and receive those prayers. We're just gonna take a, a few moments to surrender to this, the power of the Spirit in this place. So we bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Lord, we come. We come as people in need of your power, people in need of your strength. Lord, you see moms and dads, you see bosses and managers, you see business owners, you see the leaders of volunteer organizations, you see the students who are the leaders in their circle of friends at school. God, you see the, all of the, just the, the great doors you have opened for us in business, at school, with our, our finances and our relationships, all of this influence that you've entrusted to us, Lord, these beautiful children that we prayed for and longed for. Now, God, in each space, no matter how competent or how weak we feel this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you fill us with your power? Will you fill us with your strength? We cannot do it on our own. Even if we think we're succeeding, Lord, we know there is so much more that can be accomplished through the presence of your spirit in these situations. So Holy Spirit, will you come break through our pride, break through our arrogance, break through all of the ways that we're impressed with ourselves. Come and remind us that all of our power is a gift from above and all of our power needs the power of the Holy Spirit to fully achieve what you have designed it for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we sing this last song, I'd encourage you, move from where you are, ask someone to pray those prayers. We're gonna pray brief, quick prayers, trusting that the Spirit will release His power, not just now, but in all the days to come.
Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.